You're listening to the N2K Space Network. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. It's been a long time coming. The origins date back to the Ansari X Prize in October 2004. The discussions that followed were something along the lines of, if you build me a spaceport, I'll build you a spaceship. New Mexico went all in on that agreement with Spaceport America, which was completed 11 years ago. And today, Virgin Galactic delivered on their side of the deal, flying its first commercial passengers to space. T-minus. Today is August the 10th, 2023. I'm Alice Carruth, and this is T Minus. Virgin Galactic takes its first commercial passengers to space. Viasat reports positive Q2 results. Black Sky Technologies books five launches with Rocket Lab. And our guest is Chad Anderson, managing partner at Space Capital on Q2 space investment and stabilization in the market. On to today's Intel report. It was a beautiful morning in New Mexico. The skies were clear, the air was still, all was quiet. Except for the sound of engines igniting. For today, Spaceport America was host to the first commercial passengers going to space. Virgin Galactic has been promising their first commercial flight for a number of years, and after a series of good flights, they've finally delivered. Three commercial passengers, John, an 80-year-old former Olympian from the UK, Keisha and her daughter Anastasia, recipients of tickets thanks to Space for Humanity from Antigua and Barbuda, all experienced their first taste of the overview effect. Flying the spaceship was NASA veteran CJ Sturkow and first-time space pilot Kelly Latimer. The vehicle was carried up to 44,500 feet by Mothership Eve before being released to ignite the engine. The passengers experienced over 3 Gs and travelled about 1,000 miles per hour before the engine cut off. The spaceship reached an apogee of 88.5 kilometres, about 54 miles above the Earth's surface. The passengers experienced several minutes of microgravity before the spaceship turned into a glider and returned to the runway at Spaceport America. Congratulations to all involved. Welcome to space to four of the crew, 
John, Keisha, Anna and Pilot Kelly. The good news continues for Q2 financial reports. We'll be talking more about that with Chad Anderson from Space Capital later in the show. Viasat reported $780 million US dollars in revenue during the last quarter, a 36% increase compared to the same period last year. It wasn't all sunshine and flowers, though, as the company is still investigating issues with its Viasat 3 America's communication satellite. The vehicle experienced a malfunction while deploying its reflector in July. Viasat says that despite the malfunction, the vehicle continues to perform as expected. And Black Sky is also reporting a jump in revenue for the last quarter. The Earth Observation Company says they made $19.3 million US dollars in revenue in the second quarter of 2023, up 28% from the prior year. The company also announced a five-year contract deal with Rocket Lab. Rocket Lab has been used by Black Sky Technologies for six launches since 2019. The new contract is expected to see Black Sky satellites launched by Rocket Lab's Electrum rocket from New Zealand starting next year. And Rocket Lab continues to show that it's in the game as the leader of Global Launch, signing a new agreement with a confidential customer for a HASTE mission from the Mid-Atlantic Regional Spaceport next year. HASTE, which stands for Hypersonic Accelerator Suborbital Test Electron, held its first successful launch this summer. Rocket Lab says that they signed the agreement with the undisclosed customer just days after the test in June. NASA has renewed its contract with Spire Global to provide Earth observation data to the US Space Agency. The contract represents a half a million US dollar increase from the previous award of $6 million in June 2022. The award is part of NASA's commercial SmallSat data acquisition program, which Spire has been part of since 2018. With this contract extension, Spire's data will now be available to all US government-funded research and federal agencies for scientific purposes. It's not all good news for Earth observation company Hawkeye360. The company is the latest to fall victim to issues with solar interference. Their satellites are experiencing problems in orbit, due in part to a failure with the propulsion systems made by Austria-based Empulsion. Hawkeye has requested temporary permission from the Federal Communications Commission to operate three of its satellites at a lower altitude. The company has also requested permanent authority to operate its constellation at orbital altitudes of 400 to 615 kilometres, given the propulsion failures. OneWeb has locked a major US partnership with IP Access International. IP Access isn't just any partner. They're major players in terrestrial and space mobile connectivity, especially for enterprises and emergency services. This move is building on OneWeb's momentum after completing their global satellite constellation. Now, imagine combining OneWeb's high-speed, low-delay satellite network with major ground cellular services all under one roof. Put those two systems together and you get what the companies are calling Super Gig. A service designed especially for critical mobile operations, marrying terrestrial and space networks. Link Global, a major player in satellite to phone connectivity and Vodafone Cook Islands, announced the start of their new direct to mobile phone satellite service to Vodafone Cook Islands subscribers using Link's cell towers in space. The Cook Islands, vast and remote, crave this innovation. It drastically extends their connectivity without the huge setup costs. Imagine not just islanders, but fishermen and tourists having unmatched connectivity. 
This isn't about just one partnership. It signals a future where remote regions globally could bypass traditional infrastructure. Russia is back in the lunar game after a 47-year hiatus, launching the Lunar 25 craft. Their aim? For all the fans of Apple TVs, for all mankind out there, the Russians want to turn fiction into reality with a soft landing on the moon's south pole, an uncharted territory that might hold significant water ice deposits. Oh yes, that region again. NASA's prior findings suggest water is present there, and if Luna 25 succeeds, it could accelerate how we plan for fuel, oxygen and life support for future space missions. This launch is more than just about water. It's a testament to the Russian space program's resilience amid major economic and geopolitical challenges caused by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. They're not alone. India's Chandrayaan-3 is on a similar quest. The moon race is heating up. The International Space Station National Lab is partnering with NASA to fund up to $5 million US dollars in research that aims to harness the unique environment of space to fight diseases like cancer. This is a strategic move, aligning with the Biden-Harris administration's Cancer Moonshot Initiative, which targets reducing 4 million cancer deaths by 2047. What's special? The research calls for innovative applications of stem cells, biomanufacturing and more, focusing on novel treatments and patient care breakthroughs. This not only benefits humanity, but also aids astronaut health for long-duration space missions, like Artemis. Proposal submissions kick off soon, with an informative webinar on August the 24th. A link is in the show notes. That concludes our briefing for today, but you can find links to all the stories we've covered in our show notes. We've included a few extras on the cost of India's lunar mission, Blue Origin's mega rocket, and US intelligence agencies working together to protect commercial satellites. You'll find them all at space.n2k.com. Hey, T-Miners crew, if your business is looking to grow your voice in the industry, expand the reach of your thought leadership, or recruit talent... T-Miners can help. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at space at n2k.com or send us a note through our website so we can connect about building a program to meet your goals. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Our guest today is Chad Anderson, Managing Partner at Space Capital. Chad came on T-Minus when we first launched the show and gave us a really good update on Q1 reports and has just recently come out with Q2 reports. 2022 was all doom and gloom for the second quarter, so I started off by asking Chad, what are we looking at in 2023? Q1 
is an interesting time to sort of check the pulse of what's going on. So it's, it's one of our most viewed reports. And, um, you know, I think the key takeaway uh, this year is uh, that there's signs of stabilization. So we saw another $6 billion invested in Q2 across the space economy. We've now seen $280 billion invested into nearly 1,800 unique space companies over the past decade. Big part of that was Maxar Take Private. Um, there was a big private equity deal done for Maxar. About $4 billion of that was equity, which makes up a big piece of that. If you remove that, then still a pretty low quarter. But overall, if you look at, at everything that's happening here, there's stabilization across the board. Things are looking healthy from a forward-looking perspective. So there's really healthy front-of-funnel you know, early stage companies, the number of rounds and the amount of capital that seed and, and series A companies raised actually increased quarter over quarter. So that's promising for what's to come. And also, obviously, the public markets have had a bit of a bull run in the first half of this year, which is a leading indicator for private markets. So reading your report, space capital seems to break up the space economy in three different areas. Can you talk me through those three areas and, and what you're seeing for the future coming through those? The space economy is quite broad. So, you know, for us, it's a lot more than just rockets and uh, satellite hardware. Uh, we're really interested in the data that's coming off of orbital assets. And so we're really in- investing in next generation digital infrastructure from orbit. The, you know, if you look across industries, you've got launch, which makes up about 10% of all activity, investment activity and market value. And then you've got what we call emerging industries, which are space stations and, you know, manufacturing in orbit and some of these new areas. Satellites make up 88% of all the value in the space economy today. And that's GPS, geospatial intelligence, and satellite communications are the three key technology stacks. And then we've come up with this really useful framework where we look at it in terms of the infrastructure. So the satellites that are in orbit generating the, the data, the distribution, so the companies that are harnessing that data and making it accessible to the tech community who's then building applications based on those really valuable data sets from orbit. So a lot of value accrues in the application space and at Space Capital, we invest across all those sectors and technology layers. A report came out looking at M&A or mergers and acquisition as a really hot area. And we've obviously seen a few of those happen in this last quarter. What other takes have you come from this last quarter and what do you see happening in the next quarter or throughout the rest of the year? Yeah, I mean, so on the M and A front, this is a lot of this is just um, typical market cycle stuff. So where we're at in, you know, at the tail end of eighteen months of downturn, uh, what we started to see in Q two was a number of M and A transactions. These weren't really necessarily positive outcomes for investors. A lot of these were opportunistic investments, small dollars going in to acquire struggling companies, for the most part. You know, we still got a ways to go before we start to see some of the more growth-related companies, companies with strong prospects in front of them getting picked up for premiums. And so that's kind of where we are. We're looking at this, you know, if you kind of look at it through the lens of the Gartner hype cycle, 2021 was clearly the peak. And we're in a bit of the trough at the moment. Uh, But we are seeing a lot of innovation in the space economy still. We're seeing a lot of really interesting companies and teams executing And the three areas that we're really looking at that we think are going to drive significant near-term growth are satellite communications going direct to cellular. So you can see this in SpaceX's Starlink and teaming up with T-Mobile and several other companies and telcos that are getting involved in this. We think that's a massive opportunity. 
climate measurement and action uh, powered by geospatial intelligence. So Earth imaging satellites getting valuable information about um, our weather and changes on the surface of our planet. And the era of spatial computing powered by precise positioning and Apple's Vision Pro. This is maybe something that not a lot of people think of as fitting within the space economy, but spatial computing, you know, mixed reality future is underpinned by all of the key satellite technology stacks, GPS and positioning, geospatial intelligence, and uh, layering digital information on top of, of maps and satellite communications, which is allowing these experiences to persist across space and time. So it's quite interesting that you picked up on Earth observation as being a key area. And obviously recently, Planet has just come out and said that they're laying off about 10% of their employees. And we've obviously seen others go under like Virgin Orbit in this last quarter. Do you think we're going to see more of that going forward throughout this year? Yeah, I mean, Talon's been a really interesting story in Q2. We have seen some struggling companies either get acquired or fail altogether, which is always difficult and sad to see. Although, you know, if you sort of step back and you look at this from the macro market perspective, we think a lot of this is really healthy in the long term. But no, I mean, we've even seen, you know, large companies that are well capitalized and doing well, trimming staff, as you know, as well. And I think seen as more of a positive in terms of the companies are sort of buckling down, recognizing that they may be overhired in the peak of the market, thinking about structuring their business to focus on revenue and, and prioritizing profit. You know, I think that that's what we saw in the case of Planet. And we've seen it in several other large companies as well. But, you know, the key takeaway for us as investors is that these companies and, and the leaders at these companies are, are finding ways to do more with less which is a really positive signal for for private market investors like ourselves. So we've just seen SES coming out saying that about 10% more revenue this quarter than they've had in previous years. And Rocket Labs had some really good results as well in Q2. What other companies should we be looking at going into Q3 thinking what's going to be progressing, you think? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Rocket Lab is a really interesting one. I think they're up 85% on the year. And, you know, that's a space capital family company. Um, we invested in that company in the past as well. So it's great to see that. Look, I mean, there's still relatively limited opportunity to invest in the public markets. You know, we saw a lot of companies go public via SPAC. A couple of those are post-product, you know, revenue generating companies like Rocket Lab, like Planet Labs. Um, but there was many others that were just sort of taking advantage of or, or looking to use the public markets as a way to raise capital. And unfortunately, you know, most of those companies were wholly unprepared for the level of, of financial, you know, and disclosures and things and what it means to be a, a publicly traded company. And so unfortunately, we've seen a lot of those um, not trade very well. What I would say is that there is a lot of really interesting things happening in the private markets. You know, we've been since SpaceX opened up the space economy for new entrants to come in, you know, a little over 10 years ago. A lot of companies have been coming in and innovative and building their businesses over the last five to seven years. And so a lot of those companies are now at the point where they're sort of ready for the public markets in the traditional route, meaning that they've done the hard work to prepare themselves, you know, to be in a position to go public and succeed when they get there. Um, I think we're just waiting now for the... Um, for the public markets, for the IPO window to open up again. And then we'll start to see some more interesting names for retail investors to participate. 
So you mentioned some of the SPACs, and one of the ones that comes to my mind is Virgin Galactic, who haven't had a particularly successful time when it comes to their stock, but yet are having a successful time when they're finally picking up their business. Why do you think that is? Why do you think the market hasn't reflected their flight plans? I think that um, it, the, the markets might be. This company has been in existence for a very long time, and they have raised a significant amount of capital. So they are now operationally finally getting to operational flights, which is really great to see. But I think what we've learned now is kind of something that we've always, you know, the lens in which we have always looked at this company is even if it gets to operational flights, you know, how does it actually make money and how does that actually translate to profit? You know, how do they make up for all the capital they've raised to date? And it's difficult to see, you know, in the in the earnings call, it was um, really about you know, we are now into operational mode and we're going to be doing more of these operational flights, but um, they're not going to generate a whole lot of, of revenue. So, you know, I think that just really reflects the difficulty in launch as a business proposition. You know, I mean, it is technically very difficult to get to orbit, which Virgin Galactic is not, but, you know, to even get a prototype flying and then to move from that prototype to, you know, operational flights and a regular launch cadence is very, very difficult. And even if you can manage to do all of that, the business model and the unit economics and launch are really brutal. So um, it's very, very difficult to build a successful business and launch. And I think we're, we're seeing that play out in the stock price of Virgin. We'll be right back. And now a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero-trust-ai. Welcome back. So we started off the show talking about commercial passengers that bought a spaceflight ticket. Would you do it? Well, there are plenty of companies now offering the opportunity. Another option could be a balloon flight to the edge of space. Florida-based Space Perspective is developing a high-altitude balloon ride and announced that they've already sold 1,600 tickets for their six-hour journey. Their spaceship Neptune capsule offers a 360-degree panoramic view is equipped with a lavatory and nine recliners, eight for the customers and one for the captain. And the cost? A mere $160,000. Certainly a better option for those of us that are a little concerned about experiencing the rocket ignition G-Force. That's it for T-Miners for August the 10th, 2023. 
For additional resources from today's report, check out our show notes at space.n2k.com. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at space at n2k.com or submit the survey in the show notes. Your feedback ensures we deliver the information that keeps you a step ahead of the rapidly changing space industry. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like T-Minus are part of the daily routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector. From the Fortune 500 to many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. This episode was mixed by Elliot Peltzman and Trey Hester, with original music and sound designed by Elliot Peltzman. Our executive producer is Brandon Carth, our chief intelligence officer is Eric Tillman, and I'm Alice Carruth. Thanks for listening. Listener.